Consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 709 on CJAD. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. How are you this week, Josh? Excellent. Thank you, Dan. Great. And uh, since this is radio, of course, hearing and listening is very important, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. With us is Nick LaPearl of Sonomax Technologies, and I was just uh, trying out Nick's, uh, Nick's new headphones, which are kind of cool, and we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, Nick, welcome to today's Entrepreneur. Thank you. Good, good to be here, guys. So we start by just uh, maybe describing a little bit about what Sonomax is uh, is all about. So right now, Sonomax makes earphones and hearing protection that fit exactly to the shape of your ear. Okay, so we went through the experience just before going on air. Mm -hmm. So you have a funky-looking headband, which looks like an earphone that you put on. You flip a switch, and magically, a part A and part B silicone mixed together go inside of this membrane that goes inside your ear, takes exactly to the shape of your ear. And five minutes later, you remove the set, you separate the uh, funky-looking headband from the earpieces, and you've got yourself earphones that fit exactly to the shape of your ear. Exactly the shape. Are they like fingerprints? Well, we, we actually call them earprints. So uh, ears are more distinctive than fingerprints. So to think that you know they're generically available, and even the multiple tips that you'll find at uh, at any of the uh, of the stores, that, that to think that that could fit is almost statistically impossible. Mm -hmm. And I was telling Nick before that I was kind of freaked out because I can't recall a time in my life where I, I, I sound was that blocked out. Uh, so it really sort of fits. Uh, it really sort of fills up your ear, and you really can't hear anything else. It's quite quite, quite interesting. Uh, now, wh where did this get started? You know, this is today. You know, you're you have this phenomenal product that you're that you're out there. You're launching. You're continually developing. Um, but where did this start? Uh, so it's it started many many years back in the uh, in the early 90s. My family has been in, in hearing healthcare since the early 60s. So my mother has been a pioneer in this space, and my dad joined her business. And so our dinner conversations at home were. You know, constantly about hearing aids and hearing and hearing loss, and the, you know, so that became, you know, very very common. And uh, and from there, at at one point in in 1992, uh, 92, 93, after uh, I finished another business, uh, my mother said, "Why don't you come and join the family business and take a look at it?" And frankly, you know, it was a very good business, but I thought, you know, the 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 business model was was difficult. Uh, you know, for mostly expensive hearing aids, um, a low volume business. And uh, really, I, I looked at it and discovered that younger and younger people were losing their hearing and that there'd been really no innovation since, since the 60s. You know, the little foam plugs or the earmuffs that you see at the, the pharmacy. Well, most of industrial America, the gl global, Amer you know, in industry still wears these little foam plugs. And they haven't really worked to prevent hearing loss. So we were in clinics, and people would come in. It's cases from CSST, right, which is workers' compensation, and they'd have hearing loss. And you'd start having a conversation with them, and they're like, well, I don't know how this happened to me because I worked at the factory, and, you know, I had these plugs, and I wore them most of the time. And so I started doing some research and realized that younger and younger people were losing their hearing. Very little innovation since the 60s in terms of new technology and something that cost billions of dollars to manage. You know, and the human impact, I saw it live because the people would come in, couldn't converse with their children, couldn't, you know, the, a lot of different issues that, that, that arise from the isolation from hearing loss. And I said, this is crazy. I've got to develop something that fits the wedge between that patient and uh, the, the industrial. So the whole thing started as a hearing protection company. 
but your your background wasn't in necessarily hearing or sound engineer or any of the like. It was just this is this is something that you felt needed to be taken care of in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a serial entrepreneur. I uh, started my first business uh, around 15 years old and had some huge successes and some glorious catastrophes and um, and everything in between. And uh, a lot have been very supported by my mother, who's also an entrepreneur, who helped put a lot of parameters, a lot of guidelines in, in, in place. Um, so, you know, I, I uh, when I joined that, that business, and I saw that this opportunity to a, change the world and uh, make it a better place and also protect people's hearing. And every time I do a presentation, whether it's in Congress in the United States or anywhere in the world, I'm a guest speaker. I always talk, you know, I start the presentation by saying, look, hearing is what makes all this possible. You know, you were just saying that. And uh, it is still the most undervalued of the sensory perceptions. Were your, your parents that wanted you to continue the legacy of their clinic when you turned them down and you said no was were they still supportive were they disappointed did they still say you know what that's okay I understand and now we'll support you in the next venture there was some back and forth you know <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a slam dunk mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, but no ultimately uh, at the end of the day you know it's 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 about being happy it's about love what you do you never work another day in your life right so that's how I grew up and uh, so it, it wasn't a hard transition and I think, Dan, what we see often is the, the parents and the, and the children, and there's, there is communication. There's sometimes direct communication, sometimes it's difficult communication, as long as it remains communication. Because it's not necessarily the right move for their child to go in the business and follow in their footsteps. Even though for them, that's the only end game, it's not always it. So we understand the parent side of it too. And I think when we come back, we'll talk about the people that he did take on to build around him and uh, and make this company hear what it is today. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Josh Miller of Fuller Landau with our guest, Nick LaPearl of Sundamax Technologies. Uh, they make these really cool uh, headphones uh, that I would just try it out before. They sort of sculpt to your ear. And uh, and Josh, we're talking about the technology involved in that. Uh, with that very complex technology comes the need for uh, very qualified people. The right people. And if you if you don't have that exact background, you got to surround yourself with the right people. Although even if you have a background, you still have to do the same. So Nick, maybe you can guide us a little bit through how you kind of started to build the team around you. Yeah, so it started with uh, with my partner. Right, so Adam Schwartz and the Schwartz family uh, helped put the necessary seed money together, and uh, which was about a million dollars at that time. And uh, from there, we said, okay, what are the disciplines that we need? So we needed some mechanical engineering, and we needed obviously audio engineers, right? So the great interesting story is that I so there's uh, one of my engineers. Then one of the first guys goes and says, I'll take a course at the university at the École de Technologie Supérieure, right? And uh, he takes the course on acoustics, and he comes back. He says, the, the professor is really good. The, uh, the school is really entrepreneurial. You should come to meet. So I go meet the professor, and I say to him, I said, uh, so we, we start chatting. And I said, look, what I'm really looking for, okay, is I need somebody with a master's degree who wants to do a PhD in our technology, and we could work together as a co-op. And I lay the whole plan out for him. And he, and he looks at me, he goes, okay, anything else you want with that? You know? <laughs> So he thought that was outrageous. I said, look, we need somebody, you know, really smart, really this, really that. 
And uh, so he was like a little bit blown away. Four days later, he calls me like a bit stuttering on the phone and basically said, I have an engineer here who's got a master's degree, wants to do a PhD. He has a master's in acoustics. He's from France and his name is Voix. Jérémy Vouet, okay? <laughs> I'm like, done. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> so he became a very, very a critical component. And he was our CTO for about eight years. And we developed the various versions of the, of the product and software and hardware and everything. And then from there, we built, uh, when he became a professor, we built a university research chair around him. So he became a professor. We did a research chair. And then he's now surrounded himself with about seven really, really strong guys at the chair. And that's where we're working on the next generation things. So a little bit of luck, but you went out, this is what I want. This is, it may or may not be out there, but got to go and get it and find it. And lo and behold, it happened. Okay. Other than from a technology side, like from the operations, from looking to try and source any components, did you, was that something that you were doing on your own or did you also have other people that were involved in that part of the business. Yeah, so, so some of the engineers took on that responsibility and my partner did everything hands-on. So we sort of split the business up into, I'm the outside guy, he's the inside guy. So I did you know, public relations, marketing, fundraising, and uh, then he took care of the, the engineers and, and put the whole group together and he became the resident cat herder. Would you, would you describe your style, you know, you your, your have your team around you, were you inclusive? Were you was it a democratic group? Did you always seek people's input, or where did you, or, or were you more the type of maybe previous generations said, no, do that, that won't work, do that, do this? You know, I, I think at the beginning everything is exciting, and uh, you, you've got all kinds of confidence, so you you're more like ordering people around, and then you realize that you're not getting anything from them, and then they're fighting back, or they're saying yes, yes, yes in a meeting, and then they're saying no, no, no. So you you just said I just sat here for a meeting for two hours. We all agreed to this, and nothing's going to happen. So it becomes it becomes something you have to learn a little bit about yourself that people do want to be included, right? So how to get the most out of people and still survive? Absolutely, and get what you want. Absolutely, Nick LaPerle, our guest on today's Entrepreneur of Sonomax Technologies at seven twenty three on CJAD. Wake up, know it all. The Andrew Carter Morning Show. Don't you think it's uh, it's got, there's kind of something uh, funny about uh, everybody complaining? For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants, and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 726 on today's Entrepreneur with our guest Nick LaPerle of Sonomax Technologies. Uh, very uh, interesting product, these headphones that sort of mold to your inner ear. And that, of course, Josh, requires a lot of R&D. And, and as we're talking about the research development, the, the product that's ever-changing and the people and the technology behind it, the research and development is a huge plays a huge part in your business, I know, as well as the tax credits that the Quebec government... Um, I was about to say so liberally gives, but doesn't so liberally give as much anymore. Uh, so maybe you can kind of describe to us your experience with these R&D kind of tax credits and, and how it relates to your business. The, the first surprise that we had was that we found out that the federal tax credits, we can't get the cash because we were publicly traded. So we went public on the, on the, on the CTSX. So we had you know, the tax credit you know, you know, banked but we needed the cash, you know. So the, the provincial government was very good. So the programs were very, very good. So, you know, it's, it's a function of putting the, the right people together. R&D is, is definitely a skill set on, onto its own. 
my my big investors, uh, you know, and the vice chairman and the chairman of my, of my board often say that this technology could not have been invented in a big company. You know, it really was a, a bunch of very very resilient people who basically closed the door, went into hibernation at each generation of the product, and came out with there are no other options than to make this work. Did, were there any major lessons learned when you were writing the, these R&D reports for tax credits, whether it's the wording or the, the type of, of technology that you were using? Um, so at the beginning, it, it, we, we had a, you know, some consultants come in uh, you know, who work on the percentages, and, um, and then we didn't really document enough. So I would say, you know, piece of advice to anybody listening, document everything every conversation every you know as m over document as much as possible um, and then over the years uh, we got approached by another more aggressive who did an analysis came in did an analysis and said oh you guys are missing so much money and uh, we said really we you know we thought we were doing it right now over the years too you start you stop wanting to pay the 20 percent commission mm -hmm. you know and you said oh we'll do this internally and you get a little bit be better and then he came in, so of course he played off our insecurities and rejigged the whole thing. And uh, we sat by going, wow, we're going to get an extra like million dollars, you know. So that was funny for about two years uh, until we got audited. And, uh, and we're now just getting out of it, right? So it, it's, it's, it's really, and you know, the program has changed also over the years. They were a lot more liberal. And, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything. Frankly, to be honest with you, um, I think the way it went too far, right? So, like I was saying at the beginning, my, my partner, Adam Schwartz, ran all R&D. But, but because he assumes a position of executive vice president, everything he did was discounted. You know, now, we're a 12 or a 20-person team, and he runs, you know, 15 of them. So, you know, that R&D would not have happened without him. So, the fact that he's not eligible doesn't make sense, you know? Eight, ninety percent of our activities are R&D. So why is the CFO who d handles all this? Why isn't he eligible? Right. Mm -hmm. It's all about role playing and developing exactly who's supposed to do what. And that's not always easy, especially when you're talking about a business that's growing and that has a number of investors. And uh, we're going to come back to that after after the break. Nick LaPearl, our guest of Sonomax Technologies. This is today's entrepreneur on CJAD at 730. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.36 on Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar, along with my co-host Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. And our guest tonight is Nick LaPearl of Sonomax Technologies, makers of, among other things, uh, this uh, very cool, uh, I guess, earphone that molds to your inner ear, uh, which we were talking about in the previous hour. Josh requires a lot of talented people on the team, a lot of R&D. And uh, I just want to conclude on the R&D note, Nick. I'm wondering if Canada, and if Quebec in specific, is a really good environment for someone who has a really great innov innovative idea or are there other jurisdictions other places in North America that's a bit more friendly for people who are creating something really unique and innovative? Uh, I, th I think if I may Dan I'll, I'll kind of jump in a little bit and say that you know there's a couple of perspectives and I think Nick will give you a perspective from a talent pool and where we where maybe you can find people from a tax aspect you know Quebec does tend to have uh, quite a, a good reputation for um, for the amount of money you can get back for legitimate 
shred or you know scientific research and experimental development um, from a talent pool I probably think it depends on the industry uh, you know Montreal has been known a lot for its uh, its high tech you know there's a lot of gaming uh, studios and and some biopharmacy and, and you know I think we heard from Nick and maybe we can ask you easy to find talent here in Montreal for what you're doing yeah we, we never had any any trouble recruiting really great people a lot of really smart people and the, you know there's a French passion too which is a lot of fun you know and you can have fun outside of the work environment and you know with the restaurants and so <laughs> it makes a good work environment too especially when you're creative right when you're when you're building things you need to have you know the extracurricular activities which helps you know I ignite people's creativity because you 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 know we were you're thinking outside the box continuously because uh, the technology doesn't exist you know if you guys swung by my office i'd show you a wall in my office of all kinds of letters and emails and that you know you can't do this this can't be done and you know a huge company who once wrote me look i love your passion i love what you're doing let me tell you that there is no technology to make the technology you're trying to make you know so you know what we do we went to 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 our investors and we said okay so what's the next plan well work backwards invent the technology to make the technology okay <laughs> let's do it <laughs> now now that that's a that's a results in a great question how do you convince your existing investors or the uh, initial pitch how do you convince them that this is the next best thing since sliced bread a, l a lot of uh, a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations and uh, you know casting the the vision right so hearing loss is is a huge problem right it affects millions and millions of people 20 percent of teenagers now have hearing loss every investor knows somebody with family do you know uh, brother sister father mother who has been affected by hearing loss and you're coming and you're saying look we want to prevent hearing loss it's the number one occupational disease costs billions of dollars to manage so and we've been very very blessed I, mean, I can't say that this is a regular you know we've had very patient investors uh, my chairman Peter Malouf has been with the company since day one never sold a share he was part of the CPC and uh, you know he's almost an executive director now because I talk to him on a daily basis how do you how do you appease all your investors I mean if you have quite a number of them is it just about communication is it about uh, what information do you give them to keep them I'll say either at bay or happy or whatever it may be. I, to, to be honest with you, the last you know the last couple of years have been very difficult, right? So and raising money, speaking to investors, the whole public aspect of it. Because I always say that when you're public, your product is your stock, right? So you know you can make best earphones in the world, like you know we we fitted a, before the show started. But you know if the stock doesn't go up, why would I buy your stock? Mm -hmm. So the the stock is a product and it has to be properly promoted and you have to talk about it so if you deliver on results there are great conversations because you're a genius and everybody loves you right if you don't deliver <coughs> or if you make some promises that you can't deliver on right for obviously unforeseen circumstances uh, it gets very very difficult you know now that I mean I have a million questions running through my head but one of them that you were touching on is manufacturing and being worldwide now I presume at the beginning that you were manufacturing more locally and I guess to appease investors, you have to think, okay, how do we bring the price down? How do we get more efficient? How can we get a better profit margin so that, you know, there, there's potentially more money at the end of the day? Did you move any of your manufacturing operations? And if so, to where? And how did that work? Yeah, so, so we were manufacturing everything on, on our offices in Montreal. And at one point, we had up to 70 employees. 
And uh, we were trying to build up the demand and the sales, uh, you know, matching demand to the sales without having to go uh, outside. And then, you know, we've, we found some basic limitations. So what we did with the automatic headband, and, you know, if anybody wants to go on the website, you can go to myears.com and you'll see everything on, um, on the website, all the fitting videos. And so what we used to inject the system manually, so we needed technicians. So we were always limited. And then we realized that was a huge impediment, that we could never scale the business. At the same time, the manufacturing had plateaued. So we wouldn't have been able to make any more, mm -hmm. you know. So armed, we're really with a PowerPoint presentation, not a very big book of orders. You know, uh, Adam flew to, uh, to China and uh, convinced people, like I, we were convincing people in Montreal to invest and to continue fund the company. Uh, he did the, the same exercise and set it up production and brought the product. And it was very, very difficult. Was it difficult to manage China from a production standpoint? to make sure that the product was really built to your specifications? Absolutely, you can't take any anything for, for granted. So we were already very paranoid and uh, we were paranoid about two things. Are we gonna ever be able to control these people and can we ever trust them, right? Because they're very, very nice people and everything is yes, right? Uh, but you know, yes doesn't mean anything. So we, we took the, the product and we broke it down into three critical parts and we went to three different factories so that nobody had the whole piece of the puzzle together. Because, you know, we're a small company, so... And intellectual property is huge, certainly for what you're developing, so you have to find some way to protect it. So that was an active strategy? That was an active strategy, and the expanding membrane that takes to the shape of the year, that's where the real science is. And that, we never took it to China. So we are partners with a very huge company called Silk uh, in, Toronto, in Bolton, Ontario. Okay, and uh, they're huge partners, they're option holders, they're part of the family, we went to their wedding, I mean, we really made sure we were tight, okay, and we left the technology there, and, uh, and you know, every time Adam goes to China, which is, you know, every couple of months, or every week when things went bad, uh, you know, we would try to bring the membrane and show them people, well, could you think you could price this for us, and people came back saying, can't be done, you know, that we're not ready for this kind of technology. So that made us feel that we had made the right decision. And with technology moving so fast, and just before we kind of come up to our next break, maybe you can kind of tell us what's kind of what's next on the horizon for Sonomax with with massive changes in technology. Where are you heading? So, so the earphones that we have now, uh, we've now turned them into hearing protections for, for industrial and military application, mostly for mining. So we do a lot of work with BHP Billiton and Anglo-American and Iron Ore, these companies, because hearing loss is a huge factor. So now you have an earphone, we now have a hearing protector. The end game for us is to combine all the devices, hearing protection, hearing aids, Bluetooth headsets and earphones into one bionic ear. So a device that every human being on, on the planet could wear connected to your smartphone that will actually control your sound environment. Talk, about, talk, ab <laughs> talk <laughs> about reinventing yourself. It's like really reinventing. Gives it all new meaning. Thank you very much. And I think we're coming up next with uh, Nick Moretis. Yes, and tax partner at tax Orlando. And we're going to talk about, that, about just that, the tax angle. And if you are an innovator, you know, how do you practically uh, you know, get some... Uh, get some tax benefits from the government. So we'll, we'll touch on that with Nick. Uh, For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
7.48 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Our guests this evening, Nicola Pearl of Sonomax Technologies, and we also bring into the conversation Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau. Josh, and of course, uh, when you're an innovator, getting those tax credits, really helpful. Absolutely, and you know, part of the story that we heard from uh, Nick and Sonomax was, while it started out private, it did become a public company relatively quickly. And there are implications, there are tax implications when you're going to become a public company. And you know, I'll turn to Nick now and kind of open the floor and say, Nick, you know, what list of things should entrepreneurs know about before they finish with their IPO? I'm assuming it's this, Nick, you're talking to. Yes, this, Nick. Um, it, it's very, it's interesting because a lot of what we do in, in tax with the owner managers is to uh, set up exit strategies for them. Uh, we're creating trusts. Uh, we're bringing in family members. So we're looking to capitalize on capital gains deductions. We're planning to ensure that small business deductions are available to the businesses, etc. And when someone in town comes along and says, well, we're on the road to being a public company, a lot of these, these benefits could disappear if we're not very careful. And, and it does require a planning process uh, before it. Um, sometime many, many years ago, somebody in Parliament got up and said, well, wait a second, let's protect these entrepreneurs. We came up with a simple little section of the law and says, we will be able to protect all this by doing this. It seemed to be a very convenient way of doing it and very simple. But once you start getting into law and once lawyers started writing the law, you got into situations where if you didn't do anything, you, chances are you were going to lose these benefits anyway because, certain, because the process of becoming public isn't that uh, simple and can take a long time. So what what kind of what kind of tangible benefits, like uh, from a dollar aspect, can can fall off the table? Well, the capital gains deduction is the foremost that comes into mind because that every owner manager is usually looking to set up his structure. Now, what is that? If an owner manager sells the shares of his company that runs his business, he can um, uh, the first seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars of gain, he will not pay any taxes. So you're you're saving roughly one hundred and eighty, hundred and ninety thousand dollars of taxes that is being avoided. If he has multiple owners of shares, so his family, say, owns, and he's a family of four, we'll multiply that by four. So it could be a sizable uh, gain. Once you become public and then you start selling the shares of your public company, that exemption no longer is available to you. So the issue that many of these owners have is, well, what do I have to do to lock in that, uh, that, uh, that exemption or cost before I go public? And the process of going public is, is, not, is, is not a simple procedure. You don't wake up one day and, and the TSX says, Here, here's your shares, you're gone the next day. There's a process. If, if only it were so if, simple. If it only was. So an example, one of the processes, in, uh, you, you might be issuing an IPO initially, you'll bring in cash, and then in a couple of days later, your shares get listed. So you're not public until your shares are listed. But in the interim, you've got a whole, a whole bunch of cash sitting in the company that you just received. Your company's off-site. You lose your exemption if you try to sell the shares that day. And that's the type of stuff that we have to watch out for. Is there any quick fix? Is there anything that can be done well, before absolutely. you get there? Again, Parliament thought they had a quick fix. It was a section of law, very little fees. You fill in a form, you send it in with your tax return, and voila, you got yourself protected. But in that little situation that I just uh, described, which is very common... You've just, if you did that procedure and nothing else, you've just lost your exemption. So what we tend to do is we tend to go back uh, during the process of the, of the IPO issue. And we, st we start reorganizing your shares. We start reorganizing uh, the companies, that, and, and especially if you're maintaining a significant interest going forward. 
And basically what we're doing is we're crossing our fingers that you're going to go public and we're triggering these capital gains. It is on paper, but to protect you. So that's some of the stuff that we look at to do. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD. After the break, more with Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Land. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD, our guests are Nick LaPerrell of Sonomac Technologies and Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau. And we were talking about when, when we left, just before you go public, there's certain things that, certain advantages that companies and individuals might lose. Uh, Nick, you know, maybe you can continue on with that list and kind of where the drawbacks are. Well, there's, there's again, and everything I tend to say almost on any subject regarding taxes is always planning. Yeah, you really have to sit down and look at the plan. Uh, but there are uh, there's certain advantages going public. All of a sudden, RSPs are more. Uh, there's more. There's fewer restrictions uh, for an RSP to invest in a public company. There's fewer restrictions of your TFSA to invest in a public company, especially if you're involved. Whereas today, uh, if you're in the private market and, and that's a source of funds, you can't really quite do that. Um, stock options all of a sudden become another uh, arsenal in your in your labor uh, uh, cost. All of a sudden, you can offer stock options to your key employees, where in the private market, it can be done, but it, it doesn't work as well. But in, in public, you can. You can issue it. They can sell it. Get somebody else to pay them, in, in a sense. Um, the downside, however, is, is the notion of small business deductions, which is right now a business, the first half a million of profits are taxed at the combined federal-provincial rate here in Quebec of, of 19%. Uh, in some provinces, it's, it's even lower than that. Well, that disappears on a public company. There are provinces that have lower taxes in Quebec? Did I say that loud? <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> as the other Nick mentioned, uh, R&D tax credits, however, there, there's a downside going public at the federal level. Right. But it's the same, some rules also, there's a subsidiary rule for a private company that gets too big. They, too, will get into a position that the only way they're going to get their R&D tax credits back is if they're making profits and actually owe taxes. Then the government will give it back whereas Quebec will give it to you even if you don't have any profits. Um, other stuff that in a private enterprise that you'd be looking for is uh, these tax-free dividends that we in our jargon call uh, CDAs, which is uh, this is something that disappears when you become public. So if you didn't take the steps to pull out this tax-free dividend for you, well, say goodbye the next day, and that's going to save you. You know, Most dividends nowadays are taxed roughly one-third. That's a lot of money. There's other tax pools within private companies because there's a whole regime of taxation in private companies that you need to go through to say, well, can I, can I pay myself dividends? What can I do to take out this money that the government would owe me? Is there, is there capital that I've invested in that I should be pulling out now because the notion of capital with a public company isn't there? That's some of the stuff that, that the plan, and it doesn't happen again the week before my stocks get listed on the TSX or in the venture exchange. I think, and that that's certainly the takeaway from from what you're saying, Nick, is all these items that can fall off the table, they don't necessarily have to as long as you think ahead. Planning. It's always a question about planning. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Now we'll turn to Nick LaPerl, Sonomax, and ask our very famous question. Nick, what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? I'd have to tell you that uh, you know once you have fixed your vision of what you're trying to accomplish, you just walk through the obstacles, right? Just just have constant perseverance. We've been at this for uh, for 12 years, okay, 14 since you talk about the beginning. So um, you know, with our board and with uh, our management team, 
so we certainly uh, abide by that so I, I think look you have the vision there are going to be obstacles there's so much resistance to change you know when I fly to Africa or to Australia I'm just amazed that I took a plane to get there with the amount of resistance there is to change in, in the marketplace you know so and I, th I thank you very much Nick and I, I think Dan other than the perseverance I mean it's really a labor of love it becomes that true passion that drives and if Nick didn't believe in his work and the social responsibility of protecting the world's hearing, certainly Sonomax wouldn't be where it is today. And I think that's a lesson that every entrepreneur can learn, and many of them live every day. And it's so great to have uh, a real innovator on the program. Some of my favorite shows are people who really push boundaries. And so Nick LaPearl of Sonomax, uh, thank you for that tonight. Uh, Nick Moretis, thank you, from Fuller Landau. And Josh, we're back next week, Monday night at 7 p.m. Uh, today's Entrepreneur on Newstalk Radio, CJAD 800.